I once heard a tale of a young couple who were madly in love. He spoke with tongues of silver, she walked with the graces of majesty. They enjoyed laughter and joy. They enjoyed the experience of a guideless youth. Their friends watched on as their joy became insufferable. The bonds of friendship broke as she ignored their voices. Together the couple ran carelessly arm in arm in the freedom of youth. Day in and day out they swooned at the thought of each other. Time there was and things began to change. As the realities of life set in, the joy became anger and fear. He spoke with tongues of fire, she walked with the pain of serfs. She feared the shouting and the anger. She feared the experience of a guideless life. Their friends watched on as her pain became insufferable. The bonds of friendship mended as she heard their voices. Together they ran fearfully arm in arm in the freedom of liberation. Now. Day in and day out, she does not think about him at all. This is not that woman's story. In the village of Brewery, County Limerick, the village which was once home to the great kings of Munster, in 1803, on the banks of the River Maig, a child was born. Her name was Ellen Hanley. Ellen's life began like many others of her time. The world was tilting back and forth between the world of empires and the conception of revolution. Scale Fadiger. 28 years before her birth, America, led by George Washington, had gone to war with the English in order to establish the new republic. Five years before, the people of France had liberated themselves from the powers of the king. And while these revolutions had led to liberation, hope and opportunities, in Ireland the ashes of hope lay scattered across the earth. Wolftone's great rebellion of Irish men and women, green and orange, united together against the crown had failed. The leaders were dead and gone, and with them the hope of Irish freedom. In 1800, the Irish Parliament and the Parliament of Great Britain each passed an Act of Union, which, from the 1st of January 1801, abolished the Irish legislature and merged the Kingdom of Ireland and the Kingdom of Great Britain to create the United Kingdom of Great Britain and Ireland. In the year of Ellen's birth, the brave Robert Emmett was hanged in a display of power in front of the eyes of the public as his final push for Irish freedom had failed. 
Ireland had lost all its hopes and dreams and life was bleak. Into this world Ellen was born. Life was to only become darker and more bleak for her as at the age of six years old Ellen's mother passed away through illness. Ellen's relationship with her father fell on hard times as the two seldom saw eye to eye after the death of her mother. If the sky was blue, they would argue on if it was off blue. If the rain was heavy, they would argue on if it was only a shower. After years of arguing, Ellen's father found a new wife for himself and the newlyweds decided it would be best if Ellen no longer lived in the family home. With few places to turn, Ellen was shown the kindness and generosity that can exist in the world as an uncle living in Balikahan offered to take her in and care for her. He was a brother of Ellen's late mother and was deeply concerned for his niece. As Ellen grew older, she became well-known around Limerick. Not for anything she had done. She was becoming famous across Limerick for her beauty. Still just a teenager, many would comment on the beauty of Ballycahan. Not only was she known to be beautiful, she was also a very friendly and bright young girl. Those who knew Ellen would call her the Colleen Vaughan, Irish for the fair girl. Many a boy from Limerick tried to impress her. Many a suitor tried to swoon her. But Ellen took little notice of them. While she was flattered with the attention and found it amusing, few suitors impressed. Soon word began to spread to the upper classes of Limerick that there was a girl like no other walking the streets of paupers. One of them, a man in his twenties called John Scanlon, took note of the rumours around the Colleen Bond. John, being in his twenties, a member of the aristocracy, a former marine and soon to inherit Ballycahan Castle, decided that if the rumours were true, then perhaps this girl would fit the bill as a suitable wife for him. A prized trophy rather than a woman valued. He began to inquire about her and found where she was living just one mile from his castle. On a stormy night, as Ellen and her uncle sat soaked from the rain, in front of the fire there was a loud banging on their door. Her uncle opened it to see Jan standing there asking for shelter from the storm. He was accepted into their home as was the custom and Ellen offered him a place by their fire and some warm food as he waited for the storm to pass. As the storm raged on outside, 
Inside the home, Jan was sussing Ellen. He instantly saw that she was indeed a girl of great beauty, and her wit and friendliness surpassed expectations. Wowed by her beauty and personality, Jan decided this would be the woman for him. When the storm ended, Jan left, but he returned to the home in secret night after night. He asked her to marry him instantly, as he felt that he must have her. He promised her the riches he was to inherit, showed her the castle they were to live in, and told her of the titles she would get and the lifestyle she would live, the party she would go to. Ellen was at first hesitant, but as the promises grew more and more and the giddiness of youth consumed her, she accepted his proposal. John insisted that if they were to marry, that Ellen's uncle would need to produce a dowry. Ellen pleaded with him not to make her ask her uncle for the money, as he did not have much and he had been more than kind enough in taking her in when she had nowhere else to go. John insisted, saying if he did not receive one, then his family would not be accepting of the marriage. Ellen reluctantly did what she was told and told her uncle of their plan to marry and told him he would have to pay her dowry. Her uncle pleaded with her not to marry this man as he did not trust him and they did not know each other well. Ellen pushed the issue saying she wanted all he promised and tearfully her uncle handed over £100, his life savings. John then told Ellen that it would be best for them to marry in secret, as his family would not approve of her immediately, and that if they were married, they would have to accept her into the family. Ellen agreed to this, and on the 29th of June 1819, they married. Ellen, now Mrs. Scanlon, was then told by John that he would need more time in order to tell his family about their marriage and to bring them round to the idea. Instead of moving into the castle as a married couple, he first told Ellen to live in a house he owned in nearby Glynn. John often visited the house and used it as a base for his shooting, fishing and boating trips. So frequent were his trips there would be no aroused suspicion. Ellen quickly began to show her frustration at being locked away. She knew she was much more than just a prized bride. Once the glass came off John and his promises faded into whimsical thoughts, Ellen began to question everything. Initially, when John would visit, the two would be locked in the joys and giddiness of new love. After just three weeks, however, when John would visit, he would be locked in a ferocious argument, as he learned the pretty girl he had married had the full intentions of being more than just a pretty little thing on his arm when it suited. 
A rash decision maker, John did not try to resolve the issues. He ignored Ellen's pleas to announce their marriage to his family. He ignored her pleas to let her return to her uncle. John, in just three weeks, had gambled and drank away Ellen's uncle's life savings. His wife was hassling him for the promises he had made. John now saw Ellen as useless to his ego. John went to his boatman, Stephen Sullivan. Stephen was obsessed with John. John was his master and Stephen mistook his employment as a friendship. John asked Stephen to take Ellen and himself across the River Shannon to Kilrush. Stephen agreed without issue as he was inclined to do. When John finished his business in Kilrush, John told Stephen that they were now to cross back to Glynn. It was a horribly stormy night and crossing was dangerous. John insisted that they were to go and Stephen agreed without thought. As they set off, a group of four people approached them. One of the group, Ellen Walsh, a vague acquaintance of John, asked if they could join as they did not have another way of crossing the river. Within the group was a Protestant clergyman who spoke with our Ellen on the trip. As the waves crashed into the boat and pushed it across the river, Ellen told the clergyman of her tale. She told him of the promises made and the promises broken. She told him of the hopes she had and the hopes which were dashed. She told him of her uncle's tears and how she longed to go home. The storm continued and became so bad that Stephen decided for their safety to not try to navigate across the Glen, but instead take the first point of land he could reach and pull in there. In the distance he spotted the North Kerry village of Ballylongford and pushed across. The sea shoved and pulled at the boat and he eventually pulled in by Carrigafoyle Castle down the river from the town. The castle itself was hallowed from the last stands of the Irish against Cromwell. The group took refuge from the storm in the castle. Behind the castle walls where women and children were bombarded by Cromwell, they sought safety. The following morning, the group of four set off walking back to Glynn as John went to Ballylongford. John's own boat had been so badly damaged that he went there to purchase a new one to make the journey back. Or at least that is the story that he wanted to have. 
As he left, he instructed Stephen to do away with his wife, as he had now grown tired of her. Four weeks appears to have been his line of patience. When he returned, he was furious to discover that Ellen still lived. He scolded Stephen for not doing the deed and told him they would not be friends if he did not kill Ellen. John set off again to be seen around the town and left Stephen to do his dreaded deed. Stephen told Ellen he wanted to show her the new boat and Ellen agreed. Out on the river, Stephen and Ellen shared a few drinks and Ellen became quite drunk. When she was too drunk to put up a fight, Stephen began to hit her. The brave man Stephen punching and kicking the defenseless girl. By his own hands, Stephen beat Ellen to death. He then took off all her clothes and her wedding ring and took from the boat a large rock and a rope. With the rope tied to the rock, he tied Ellen's body to the rope and he tossed her into the Shannon. He then returned to the shore alone, much to the delight of John. John returned to his parents' castle, happy and single, ready to ruin more lives as his ego required. Three weeks later, in Money Point, County Clare, a body floated ashore. Naked and beaten lay the unrecognisable body of Ellen. A clergyman was sought for in order to pray for the dead. The clergyman was the same man who had met Ellen on her crossing of the Shannon. He immediately put two and two together and he instructed the authorities to seek out John. Word got to John that there was now a warrant out for him and Stephen and both went into hiding. After months of searching, John was found hiding in the luxury of his parents' castle. John was taken to trial in March 1820 and such was the wealth of his family they hired no other than Daniel O'Connell to defend him the man who would be known as the Liberator of Ireland and now stands at the top of his own street and bridge in Dublin. O'Connell, horrified by the crime of his client, barely argued a case and was not shaken by the sentence given to John. Death by hanging. After the trial, John was taken by horse to Gallows Green to hang for the murder of Ellen. The horses, for some reason, stopped at the bridge to the green and would not cross the water. John was made to get out of the carriage and walk to his death as a crowd gathered to watch the man most horrid hang. A 
About a year later, Stephen was also found as he was arrested using a fake name in Tralee. It was on the gallows before he hung where he finally admitted to the murder and he confessed that he had done it because John had asked him to. He had no ill feelings towards Ellen. As for Ellen, at just 15 years old at the time of her death, the news of her murder horrified so many. So touched were so many that a leading academic called Padder O'Connell offered his own grave in Buran Churchyard as Ellen's final resting place. She lies here still with the gravestone which lies flat on the ground encased in a concrete surround to prevent souvenir hunters from chipping it away. The story of Ellen's life and death spread across the world as the people of Ireland took it with them on their travels. Today Ellen is remembered in the 1829 best-selling book The Collegians by Gerald Griffin. She is also named in James Joyce's Ulysses. Her story is told in the Colleen Bond and the Prides of Gary Owen drama which first premiered in New York in 1860. Julius Benedict wrote the opera The Lily of Killarney in 1862 telling Ellen's story. It premiered in Covent Garden Theatre in London. In 1911, the silent film called The Colleen Bond was released across America. In the same year, films of the same name telling Ellen's story were also released in Australia and Britain. Today's music was written, performed and produced by myself, Ryan O'Halloran. Ellen's story was researched and scripted by Oren. If you want to help to support this podcast, you can buy us a coffee at www.buymeacoffee.com forward slash we the Irish and leave us a review on your podcast app. Ryan Isanam Dum, Gurav Mahagut, Slonanish.